0: Hello, and welcome to Stupid Sequence, the show where we make ranked lists of things that don't matter because arguing with your friends is fun. I'm your host, Josh. And I'm your host, Scott. This is our ninth episode, and we'll start with a quick summary of what the show is. The goal of each episode is to create a ranked list of something, usually media-related. Scott and I will pick a topic before the show and each come prepared to the list of ten. In the first segment, we'll talk about the first five items from each of our lists in detail, why we feel they fit the list, why they're meaningful to us, or maybe some interesting facts about them. From there, we'll use the second segment to briefly mention the remaining items on our separate list before going head-to-head and arguing over which items belong on the official top ten. This week, we are talking about the top ten female TV main characters. Oh, crap, was that... Uh... Scott, we talked about this. Mm. I even mentioned it last episode.
1: Main characters, yep. Yep. We're good. Alright. I'm ready. Hold on. Wait. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. Well, I will cut to prep time for Scott, and here we
0: go. We're recording this much later than we originally anticipated because I've been sick.
1: It's only vaguely noticeable. I think I for, fortunately I, not COVID. I think it's just that cold is symptoms. Pretty fortunate, but
0: it's been but still garbage. Not fun. It, honestly, it's not that. It's not. I've not been that sick, but. Uh, Just lingering, you know, lingering crud. Not
1: a fan. Hmm. That that's never fun. But glad to hear that you're doing better, and uh, hopefully everyone in the family is okay. And somehow my wife completely immune to to whatever I got this time. So Mm. that's cool. She probably got smart and just avoided you. Yeah, we uh, we quarantined different sides of the house. You know, we have a whole protocol uh well why don't we talk
0: about the topic for the week here uh yes what is the topic (laughs) i thought you prepared uh top 10 female tv main characters um we kind of had some back and forth on what does a main character mean and we kind of tried to restrict it down a bit um the general idea that i think we went with is if you can point at another female character on the show and say they're more of a main character
1: than the character in question, maybe you should have picked that other character. Uh, yeah. we so tried to tried I to honestly be- struggled with this a lot. There were several times where I'm like, Oh, I really, really like that character, and I'm like, Oh, but is she the main character? Is it a toss up? Ah, uh, I don't uh And so I I generally Erred on the side of caution, did not include it for my list, but I'm a little bit sad. I'll I'll bring it up in honorable mentions so you can get an idea of who I'm referring to, but yeah, that was was pretty disappointing.
0: Yeah, same here. I I ended up with all the way up to when I was writing up my notes for for each of my entries this episode, and there's one character that I uh, was my number three, in fact, because it's a character I really like. And as I was writing up the notes, the show I hadn't watched in a while, and I went, I just don't think I can justify calling this character the main character. Um, unfortunately, character I
1: absolutely love. Again, we'll come to it in my honorable mentions. But um, yeah, there was a chance that mine could have been one or two. Ooh, wow. Okay. Yeah, feeling pretty strongly about the character, but again, I couldn't do it. Lucille Ball from I Love Lucy. Scott. now she's she is clearly the main character yeah, she, is. she is definitely and she was on my initial pass list where i was like let's name all the shows that i could think of that have a strong female oh, character that do, i actually you do that too? like <laughs> oh yeah i it's got like a you know 50 episodes or 50 shows on it and mm-hmm. i mean it, it's got everything and i love mm-hmm. lucy was definitely on that list because it's kind of an obvious one
2: and yeah, i've watched I, it uh,
0: I have not watched enough I Love Lucy to to have her make any kind of
1: list for me, really. Oh, yeah, she didn't make my top ten. Not even really an honorable mention, but first pass list, sure. Sorry to Lucille Ball.
0: Well, why don't we get started with Scott? Um, Well, actually, first, before we jump in, um, worth mentioning, um, we've had our impartial third party look over each of our lists to identify if there's any duplicates. I'm told we have three today. Uh, That's a lot. And one of them is actually in both of our top 5s. So, we're going to be going over our top 6s here for the first segment. Um so Scott, why don't we
1: start with your tops? Uh number 6. Sure, number 6. So, my number 6 is Rebecca Harris portrayed by Jennifer Carpenter in the TV show Limitless. Um. And for those of you who have not seen it, the TV show Limitless is a spin off of the movie Limitless, which featured Edward Mora, played by Bradley Cooper, uh, as a down in the dumps writer who finds out that there's this drug that allows him to unlock his brain and utilize it 100%. And even though the concept is a little bit ridiculous, I think people dream about this type of thing, I guess. You know, I'd take a drug and suddenly you're, like, brilliant and you can see all the connections and you can fight and you can whatever. Kind of a cool concept. But in the spinoff, uh, which also loosely has Bradley Cooper as Senator Ed- Edward Mora in it, um, in the spinoff, they find this guy Brian, who is supposedly immune to the side effects of the drug, because the long-term side effects are the thing that really about the drug are, are what's harmful, and so he doesn't have side effects. The CJC, which is the uh, Fed Federal Bureau that is looking over him and has assigned Rebecca Harris as his watcher. Um, She, in a word, is badass. She, I mean, she kicks all kinds of ass. As a fed, she was already top of her class. She's amazing at her job. She excels at bringing bad guys to justice, even before this assignment to to work with him. And she didn't get put on as a babysitter, but because of the two of them working in tandem, they're capable of that much more because she's already amazing. Having him with an endless knowledge because his brain is unlocked uh allows for her to be even more badass um, She's also endlessly intuitive. she was the first to realize the connections between and i'm gonna throw this out there spoilers as well as probably spoilers about every person we discuss here, so you know fair warning spoilers uh she's the first person to realize the connection between Brian, the guy she handles. NZT, the drug, and Senator Mora. And at one point, she actually takes NZT herself and basically becomes a super cop.
0: Quick question. Um, You said this was Jennifer Carpenter, right? Yes. Isn't she... She was on Dexter, right? Yes. Okay. As his sister. I like her. She's good. I did not know yeah. she was on Limitless.
1: Yeah. Yep. She is the same... Um. Sorry, she is the same person from Dexter, I believe, was she also a cop on Dexter? Yeah, also a cop. Yeah, so it's similar role, but portrayed differently, for sure. I think that one was a little bit more dark, kind of winding. I, I didn't she, watch Dexter she in has, full, so I can't say
0: Is she as foul-mouthed on Limitless
1: as she was on Dexter? No, definitely not. Okay. A little more happy. And kept, well kept. She's a pretty complex past though, uh, because her dad died and it was tied to NZT, or you know, at least loosely. And soon after so he died, but he was murdered, right? So soon after the murder of her father in 2014, she became employed at the CJC where she learned about NZT, and then she took a special interest after noting similarities between NZT users and some of the symptoms of her father. And then she believed that if she could figure out where the NZT came from, maybe she could find out what happened to her father. So there's that whole driving force behind her actions to really bring her into this. And uh, yeah, just overall, I mean, her interactions with Brian are fantastic. Uh, It's never portrayed as uh, a love interest or anything like that, because I I hate when the only reason that a female character exists is to just be um, a love interest or a point of sexual contention or something or tension and it's like no that's dumb they're just friends they're really really good friends and it it shows in the show and they they genuinely care about each other and I am very sad that after two seasons they decided to call it quits on the show because I very much enjoyed it and I was hoping to see more based on some of the things that happened in season two and I won't spoil those so if you want to go back and watch you're more than welcome so anyway that's why rebecca made my my list here really enjoyed seeing her portrayal and um i i'm sad that the show ended so have you watched limitless i have not watched the movie or the show oh you're missing out i really really like that movie
0: and I, i i kind of avoided it initially because i don't like the premise. The whole, the whole like we only use X percent of our brains is a myth, and yeah, there's like a crop of these movies that Lucy that happened. Lucy is a movie that I did watch, and it is awful. It is truly wretched. Yeah, it's um, not great. Not great. It's a really stupid movie. Uh, um, another another movie I really hate with Morgan Freeman in it. Weirdly enough, I, I love Morgan Freeman. He's been in some bad movies, uh, but it's yeah, because anyway,
1: because he is in just a lot of movies there's yeah, bound to be bad happen. ones right that'll
0: happen he's never the problem um but yeah good good uh good entry i think for your number six I yeah, like, so what you mostly because six? i like jennifer carpenter my number six my number six is yeah. a little bit of an unusual character uh very over the top her name is Nadja of antipaxos and she is what we do in the shadows Portrayed by Natasia, I'm going to butcher this last name, Dimitriou? I do not know. I'm not Greek. Uh, but yeah, she is uh, a vampire uh, from Greece originally. She's hundreds of years old and is absolutely hilarious. Uh, what We Do in the Shadows, in my opinion, one of the funniest shows running right now. I, My okay. wife and I watch it pretty religiously um, and... She is just a very, very funny character. Uh, very goofy, very over the top in a way that kind of most of the characters on the show are. But she's kind of in a dis- she's distinct from the others. They have they they do a pretty good job of having these very over the top, silly vampire characters um, kind of be very distinct from each other. She's a uh, very loud, very loud person. Very. Uh, Outspoken and just, it, it, if you've seen the movie, "What We Do in the Shadows," the the show kind of it's it's a show similar idea. It's focusing it's kind of like the office style mockumentary, you know, single camera comedy style thing about vampires that live in New Zealand. Uh, for the the movie anyway, the the TV show is focusing on a house of vampires in uh, on Staten Island. Uh, hmm. So more american focused uh most of the vampires are not from america though uh including nadja it's uh she's she's just consistently one of the funniest characters in the show i think she's uh one of the central characters is uh a human named guillermo um who is the familiar to one of the other vampires um she is endlessly mean mean to him because he's not a vampire and uh does not treat him very well, in ways that are pretty funny. One uh, in the first season, there's a recurring storyline about um her, uh one of the loves of her life. She she is married to one of the other vampires in in the house, Laszlo. Um, but they have a pretty open relationship. Uh, they uh so so the her long lost love is this man, uh who. According to her, keeps getting reincarnated and then they keep finding each other over and over again. Um this time he is just kind of an average dude in uh in New York named Jeff. This totally oh. average, uninteresting guy. In the past, apparently he's been like this like powerful warrior or like uh noble poet or things like that. This one he's just kind of a dude, just kind of a boring dude. How does she know that it's her lover? Or oh she can she can just tell. She can she oh. can tell. The one of the recurring bits that I really enjoy is she can't pronounce the name Jeff. She's she's Greek, she's got a very strong accent. And just for whatever reason, she's just 80 different ways to pronounce the name Jeff without actually saying Jeff. Uh probably about once a week, my wife and I will say to each other, Jisk. Which is <laughs> one of the ways that she tries to say it. It's very silly. Uh another fun thing they do with her is they find um, her. there is created at one point a doll of her that has a copy of her in it um, mm. so there's just a living doll and th- that doll then you think that's just for a one off episode but no that doll just stays around forever and just like will show up randomly here and there as just like yep the doll just lives here and is and is friends with her and is also her that's not weird no it's 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 pretty funny. She does a bunch of goofy over the top singing um that is very funny. She tells a lot of stories about her life as an extremely poor Greek child before she was a vampire. Uh, one of the stories is they talk about they had to uh burn donkey uh donkey shit to survive, oh. and eventually uh great. eventually they had to burn the donkey,
2: oh no <laughs> so.
0: Uh, and, uh, and uh i guess one last thing to mention um that i think is uh i i like about the character is they do portray her marriage to laszlo uh the other um one of the other vampires in the house is gen genuinely like actually pretty wholesome loving caring relationship that's very weird <laughs> but but pretty wholesome in a in a in a way that is enjoyable so very good show, very good character. Highly recommend it if you like dirty humor and uh and
1: and very funny writing. Would you recommend the movie or the show? Both,
0: well, honestly. I think okay. the sh- I think the show is better overall. The movie has Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. It's got oh, Taika yeah. Waititi who's in it and directs it, I believe. Um and they're involved in the production of the show as well, but in in my opinion the the show significantly exceeds the movie and I liked the movie a lot. I thought the movie was was quite fun, but the <laughs> show is is I think one of the funniest one of the funniest shows on TV ever. So
1: highly highly recommended from me. That is a pretty bold statement. One of the funniest shows on TV ever. Makes me laugh every episode. Okay, fair enough. I'll have to look into it. I as you were describing it, I was thinking this seems like a show that my wife would enjoy. It's so I'm really gonna want look into it and see if maybe it's something we can watch at some point. You know, when I could I could go I on for way to too long, something. way too long about what we do in the shadows. Okay, well uh, let's move on then. Anyway, yeah, let's jump over to your number
2: five.
1: Sure, you've probably never seen this show. Uh, it is Cora from The Legend of Cora. Uh, as had, voiced by janet varney i had considered it uh, considered cora but definitely did not make my top 10 well that's unfortunate and here's why because she is determined insanely powerful emotionally complex and genuinely wants to do good and throughout the whole show her struggle was very real the overall character development and growth throughout the series is is just astounding. I mean she was dealing with much higher stakes than in the original series. And while I very much enjoyed the original series and obviously would not have even considered watching Legend of Korra had I not seen the original, in some ways I think Korra is better. And and I think as I'm going through this, right, the Legend of Korra kind of went a different route than the original Avatar the Last Airbender because sure. in that one there were 3 books. And in the first two books, largely you could consider them kind of like a prequel or a prologue to book three, because it really was all leading up to one fight. And and you kind of knew it was going to be good versus evil, and it it was kind of obvious that, spoilers, Ang was going to defeat the Fire Lord.
2: What? The good guy
1: yeah. won? In the children's television show? No way. Yeah, I know. But... Uh, the Legend of Korra went a different route, and with each season or book, uh, it has its own villain, uh, which gave the show more breadth to explore some sophisticated like ideologies, politics, moralities. And in season one, Korra went up against uh, both those in power and those trying to overthrow them, and then later uh, Korra becomes embroiled in a civil war between the Water Tribes in season two. And then after that, in season three, she had the anarchist Zaheer, whose philosophy took issue with the status quo. And so she dealt with him, another completely different villain. And season four, it presented us with this exploration of democracy, almost, and dictatorship. And then it kind of steered away from the us versus them conflicts that we saw in Avatar The Last Airbender. And just engaged with more the ideological differences, and from that it was less straightforward, less clear cut, um, and like just a prolonged build up to something that we always knew was going to happen. Um, but in Korra, you know, the stakes were always incredibly high, both personally for her as well as the world at large. And on top of that, Korra lost many of her fights. Sure. And yet, stayed determined. I mean, uh, Amon succeeds in taking her bending away. Although, you know, she later regains that after the connection with the previous avatars. And later, she loses her connection to all of her past avatars. But for every defeat and victory, the ramifications were huge, and it never had the same comforting sense as the the last airbender. That everything, you know, would be alright. So I, I think it, it was a more serious audience, but it also brought us a more flawed, complex character. Um, the, you know, with the mature themes, and then as because it was more of a four season as opposed to a three book, they had even more time to develop her character. So I think Aang was more of like a coming of age type of thing, but Korra's development was definitely not linear everything felt like the growth was hard earned and you know she was an incredible protagonist had great storylines and and all of her development for, uh, felt way more meaningful um and so i think the best way it can be summed up is she was a strong courageous bisexual woman of color and that was something that was maybe lacking in representation. She so. is a by disaster. It's true. <laughs>
0: uh, here's, so what I considered Korra for sure, because um, it's, it's a show I enjoy along with Avatar. Um, for me, I could not choose Korra over Katara personally, if I was choosing between them.
1: Yeah, that was, that was another concern. I, I did consider Katara and she's, spoilers, in my honorable mention, but as well. I felt I felt like Korra overall because of the more mature themes and maybe that in, in a way is my own personal connection to the show because when I first watched The Last Airbender I was a little bit younger but as I watched Korra I was, you know, I had been a few years and, you know, they're coming out with this new series that is based on the original that I really liked but It was a little bit darker, a little bit more mature. That connected with me a little bit better. And even though I've rewatched both of the series multiple times, I just think that Korra's complexity as a character versus just Katara's growth, even though it's still amazing, I think Korra's was just a little bit better. And for that reason, I also didn't include Katara in my overall list because it felt a little too similar. Sure. Yeah, for me, I, I, I think
0: Cora's undermined a little bit by a couple of weak seasons. Uh, namely two and four. For me personally. I think hmm. the uh villain arcs in those seasons are dramatically less interesting than those in the odd numbered seasons and the stuff that's in um the original show. Uh that said, the that is a here season, season three of Korra. Maybe my favorite season across both shows, so definitely. It,
1: I would agree with that. Three was far and away the best to me. Although yeah, one, the first one was pretty strong. One's you very know, good. It, the main reason I really like one is it brought you back into the universe. It caught you up on things that you're like, well, I wonder what happened to this person. And you're like, oh yeah, oh they're oh. And they do a lot of they do a lot of new world build world building in season sure. one. Lot of necessity. and and they explore the spirit realm way more than they ever did in Avatar: The Last Airbender. So I was. For better or for was,
2: worse, uh,
1: yeah, okay, fair. But I, I think the fact that the world building was more than just the real world building; it was also the spirit world building. That gave it a little bit more depth and in interestingness to it. So I'm, I'm sticking with Cora at number five. I think she was a a fantastic character. I really enjoyed the show. I think she she was a great lead. She was written very well, and I. I love at the end that there was no ambiguity that her love for Asami was pretty clear-cut.
0: Too bad we won't get any of The Legend of more, uh seasons of that show. Oh.
2: That, you know what? I'm not even going to dignify that with the response. Why don't you just tell me your number five? My number five.
0: We are going to a bona fide classic here. Uh, we're talking Dana Scully from the X-Files portrayed by Gillian Anderson. Ooh, good choice. Uh, definitely. She is one of the most formative genre, female TV characters of all time, F- hugely influential uh, as the X-Files in general, hugely influential on many, many shows that came after in sci-fi and another genre stuff beyond that. She, her character, um, if you're not familiar with the X-Files somehow, uh, X-Files, what's that? Uh it's following the investigations of FBI agents Dana Scully and Fox Mulder uh as they investigate cases bordering on the paranormal and supernatural. Uh where Fox Mulder is very much the believer, I want to believe, very much uh, spe- especially aliens but all kinds of other weird paranormal stuff. Um he is always very much the I Think that what 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 we're investigating here, what's happening, is being caught has paranormal explanation. Dana Scully is this is the skeptic. She is very much always like, no, there's a reasonable, rational explanation for this. Certainly in the earlier seasons of the show, anyway, and is generally always focused on. I'm look. I I don't believe this is supernatural or paranormal in any way. This is just people doing bad stuff, basically and weird coincidences make it look like it's, it's paranormal over the course of the show. It starts playing around with how certain she is that the supernatural doesn't exist. Um, and you know, they kind of grapple with that. And as the show, uh, spends more and more time on building its mythology and everything, and it starts becoming, uh, more clear cut about what's real and what isn't real. Uh, you know that the, they they make some shifts to the character and i think overall that's that's kind of post that is when the show kind of starts losing steam uh in the later seasons cuz there's 9 seasons of the x-files and that's all and that's 1990s tv so it's like 22 episodes each season so there's a whole lot of x-files out there um and not all the episodes are good that being said uh scully consistently fantastic character just does, Jillian Anderson just does a great job of being one half of one of the best kind of TV partnerships um, in uh, across the whole history of television, I think. Uh, and fun fact, uh, her father is played by noted genre character actor Don S. Davis, who you can also see in a lot of other 90s stuff like Twin Peaks and Stargate SG-1.
1: Hmm. Never heard of either of those. Good shows. He, he said jokingly.
2: But yeah, uh, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a. I
0: don't have a ton to go over for specific examples of Scully, just because X Files isn't that kind of show as much. It's more of, um, there's just there's a lot of it, and it's it's a like a kind of a consistency to the character sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, it's she's very
1: likable uh, and re- you know relatable in some ways. Bit of a skeptic
0: yeah it's gonna you know whether you relate to her or or Mulder more is gonna depend on person to person right and your sure your natural tendencies i think for me That's i was more dynamic. of a relate i was more of a relate to scully kind of person than i was a relate to Mulder kind of person but um but yeah no i uh i enjoy the character a lot
1: cool good choice Having only watched some X-Files, but definitely being familiar with the overall characters and the storylines, I-, I can say that, yeah, I've definitely enjoyed uh, watching Scully on on every episode. <laughs> I mean, nothing really stands out in my mind, but it's just, it's a general feeling you get, you know? You don't, can't necessarily pinpoint it to specific things, but it, it's a general feeling. Yeah, certainly, certainly a classic. Classic of the 90s Oh wait that was like 30 years ago
2: Okay well I was a child Notably I watched oh. this later Shocking You and your protected childhood
1: Didn't watch X-Files while growing up Yeah absolutely it was not allowed to watch X-Files as a kid Are you kidding me You should see my face It's very shocked right now I doubt Mouth it. agape
2: it's, it's a wonder that you survived All right, well, why don't we jump over to your number four? Number four
1: is somebody that I think we've talked about on the podcast previously, if only in passing. And that is Sharona Fleming, as portrayed by Biddy Schramm, on the TV show Monk. Oh, yeah, Sharona. Man, I haven't watched Monk in a long time. I think when we were doing our One Hit Wonders episode my Sharona, we may have mentioned her at that point. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's where it came up, I believe. Hmm. And I do know in the past we've spoken about her fondly as at least the better of the two options on the show. So I'm going to say in the earlier seasons, and I, I don't have it written down here which one specifically she's in, but it's the first couple seasons. I want to
0: say season
1: four is
0: when they switch.
1: Yeah, I was thinking 1 through 3, so yeah, that sounds right. But as a an overall character, right, she's very strong, she's quippy, she sticks up for Monk, even to the cops that they're working with, and I guess I better back up here for a second. So for those of you who have not seen the TV show Monk, it is Tony Shalhoub portraying a detective, or former detective, that has... Uh, OCD and, uh, in some sense, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Xenophobia. Is That maybe, maybe not the uh. word I'm looking for. Um, basically, he doesn't like going out with a lot of uh, in front of a lot of people, crowds, and would prefer to kind of keep to himself. Although we find out later that his brother is much much worse than he is. Anyway, I digress. Sharona is his partner. That is almost his handler, kind of keeping him in line, making sure that he's doing the things that he said he would do, whether that's a favor to the mayor to help out on an investigation or an assignment from the police if there's something going on where they, they need additional help. And she just kind of keeps him on task. She carries his wipes, which is key because he's constantly wiping his hands, uh, even to his own detriment. Uh, like in one episode right after he shook the hand of a black man and then he's like, well, I need a wipe. I need a wipe. And the guy was like deeply offended. It's pretty, yeah, funny. it's not a good, it's not a good look. It really isn't. It obviously was completely harmless. And he, I believe was on the spectrum. It was never identified, but based on his mannerisms and lack of social understanding, I, I think it could be easily stated that that was a, possibility for him
0: he exists on the Sherlock Holmes spectrum
1: Uh, so on top of that Sharona also doesn't take crap from Monk right instead she's she's kind of pushing him to go beyond his normal boundaries to help him grow as a person to step outside his box to recover from the loss of his wife I mean there's there's a lot of points where I think he owes his own personal growth to her influence, uh, she also helps monk focus when it matters. he would not be able to solve several of the cases uh, she She charms men from time to time just to get data that they wouldn't otherwise have access to, like in one episode, they were in the university library and she makes up this thing about some guy and the the guy behind the front desk or the help desk wasn't willing to help and she charmed him a little bit and he's like, "Oh yeah, whatever you need and gets her whatever the documents, the books, I think they were looking for. And it was (laughs) just kind of odd, but knowing who Monk is, there's no way he would have been able to get that information in any kind of social interaction type situation. So without her, he would have never found out some of that piece of data, which led to another clue, which blah, blah, blah. So she was definitely a part of the, crime-solving process, even if she didn't necessarily figure stuff out on her own.
0: I think one crucial thing about Sharona is that the character is very much existing in like the Fran Drescher school of character
1: design. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, she was talking crap to the bad guys, and you know, just giving them their comeuppance, and hearing it from her, she's like, yeah, take that, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, the the character she's she's just kind of quippy, kind of snarky, but and I mean, kind of beyond that, right? She she feels like like a real character, and I I don't know, it, it's hard to describe exactly. I I, d- I did find some quotes that I felt like m- help you understand who she is as a person, right? Sure. So uh, one of them, for example. Just shows how well she knows her employer, Adrian uh, Monk. Uh, she said, Adrian Monk would die before he'd crawl through mud and garbage. And that's just, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. And they were trying to figure out, like, oh, where did he go? Oh, he probably crawled through this. She's like, no, he would die before he did that. Uh, she also kept Monk honest. And she said in one of the quotes, I know money doesn't matter on Planet Monk, but I have a kid that expects three meals a day and sometimes gets sick. If you miss another paycheck, I'm quitting. So she's like always kind of threatening a little bit with it's almost like a contentious demeanor towards him, usually, you know, pretty harmless. But. Largely, it was like, you know, I'm only here because I need money and you're helping pay for me to take care of my kid type of thing
2: sure
0: it's vaguely antagonistic
1: yeah exactly and at one point she named a dog after monk and the quote was it seemed to fit he's nervous and always cleaning himself you should be flattered <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah she's just really down to earth relatable and when she remembered a okay so in one episode i um she comes back in a later season after oh, really? Natalie has taken over. Um, and it was, um, I think it was called Mr. Monk and Sharona, right? And it, it was an episode where they followed Sharona uh, Monk and Natalie, the new replacement for Sharona in later seasons, uh, as they looked into the death of Sharona's uncle. But the case proved to be pretty complicated uh, more than initially thought, which is kind of like, The premise for every episode, it seems like, but Sharona's uncle has supposedly died in an accident at his golf club. But the more that Monk investigated, the more it looked like it was an insurance scam gone wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So completely weird thing. But at one point, Natalie was listening to Monk and she made this face. And then Sharona's quoted as saying, oh, I know that look. I remember that look. I hate that look. (laughs) (laughs) So, just dealing with Monk, like, she knows the kind of crap that he gets into, and she's gotta keep him in line, and he's kind of like a man-child to her, like a second much older son that she needs to take care of, but and I think that was actually one of the psychics that they saw in an episode alluded to that, and, you know, Monk Monk's, like, dismissive of psychics oh, they're a bunch of hooey, and was like, no, no, I found out my second husband was cheating on me with, the-. anyway, it was just like just a an interesting alternate character that played off of Monk very well, and I really enjoyed her as a, a sidekick to Monk, but definitely the lead in that show next to him, and uh, superior to Natalie, at least in my opinion. Yeah,
0: I only think I think I only ever got through like season five ish of Monk before falling off, but I do remember uh, liking Sharona more than than the uh, the replacement.
1: Yeah, what was her son's name? Benji? Oh, just, yeah, I think you're right. Just, she's the way she said it always kind of sticks in my mind. Benji? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I can't do it justice, but anyway. Yeah, yeah that's my number four. Sharona. Monk. Good, good pick. Thank you. What do you got for four?
0: Uh, my number four, uh, we are going to another cable show here. Following up on yours, this is FX uh Sons of Anarchy uh we're talking about Gemma Teller Morrow played by Katie seagal hmm.
1: I have not watched this show
0: If you're not familiar with Sons of Anarchy uh it's Hamlet that's the whole thing it's it's Hamlet but bikers biker gang um oh, and okay. uh and Gemma is Gertrude uh Hamlet's mother so that's that kind of gives you the foundation for the character if you're familiar with Hamlet at all um, she is the matriarch of the biker gang. She's uh she was married to the uh, uh the main uh the, the male main character, Jax. Uh she was married to his father, who was the original president of the uh biker gang and uh or the club, as they call it. Uh and then after he died, she married his best friend, who's the new president of the, of the club, uh played by Ron Perlman. Uh, so she is extremely manipulative, uh, and, uh, always claiming her motivation is she wants what's best for her son. And usually in the process, she's manipulating him to her own ends. Um, she's present. She's around a, a lot, certainly in season one, but when she really starts taking center stage is, is really starting in season two. Um, there is a storyline, one of the central storylines of that season is uh, early on in the season she gets attacked and raped by men in masks who try and force her to get the uh, the gang to stop working with non-white gangs because racism. Um, mm-hmm. She decides not to and then ultimately also decides to keep that happened a secret because if uh, the her husband and son found out uh basically that would end up starting a war um as they enact violent revenge uh for what happened for to her and she doesn't want that to happen so she keeps the whole thing secret which is uh a tremendous emotional struggle for her for the rest of that Man, season my god um talk and, about a trigger warning yeah and the the acting uh coming out of casegal in Uh, That season is just incredibly superb. And and it's kind of from that point on where I was like, okay, this character is extremely good, extremely well written, extremely well portrayed. Uh, I uh, just really love her throughout that whole show, but especially from that point onward. Um, And throughout the rest of the show, she's she's a very major player in events that are going on Um, just constantly trying to twist things to her own ends basically she's an unquestionably selfish and mean-spirited person in a lot of ways but also she's so compelling that you can't help but root for her a lot of the time gemma consistently one of my favorites if not my favorite character for most seasons of that show
2: excellent i i to be honest didn't really know what sons of anarchy was about now
1: that you've explained that it's basically Hamlet, it definitely gives me a much better sense. And I had no idea; I just thought, ah, it's a biker show, biker drama. It's
0: bikers and crime, and their their big thing is that they uh, they're gun dealers; they sell guns mm-hmm. um, illegally, of course. Um, what? But their their big thing is is that they hate drugs; no drug trade in the town where they they like. Uh, refuse to let any uh, drug trade happen in, in the town of Charming, California, where they are hmm. based out of. So they kind of have like an uneasy agreement with the local law enforcement on, well, they're up to some dirt, but you know that they're at least keeping the drugs out
1: of town. Hmm. So. Interesting. So they're. Yeah. Moral in some ways, but less in others. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, they're generally.
0: It's a show mostly about
1: bad people. But How many seasons are in this show?
2: I want to say like seven, I think. Okay.
1: Pretty long-running show. I watched it. It's over now, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, it's seven seasons. It finished uh, 2015, I believe. It's hard to say if this will be a show that I could get into. I mean, there's so, so many shows that are just lingering. You have to watch all of them, every show. Yeah, apparently. I'm. I might regret it, right? I've clearly watched every show that you've ever mentioned, so. Well, yeah, that's that much is true. All right, well, why don't we jump over to your, what, number three? That's what we're on, your number three. Hmm, number three, number three. Are you sure, uh, before we get into that, are you sure you don't want to take a break real quick? And Oh, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Let's take a break. Uh,
0: and we'll come back in just a minute to continue talking about our top tens. Stay tuned.
1: Hey everyone, hope you're enjoying the show so far. If you have show ideas or comments, you can definitely reach out to us. Email us at stupidsequence at gmail.com or on Twitter at stupidsequence. Thanks, and we will now continue
2: with the rest of our top five. And here number three. No excuses this time, tell me. Number three. Kim Wexler
1: from Better Call Saul, as portrayed by Rhea Seahorn. And that's our duplicate. She's my number two. Yeah, number okay. Number two. I had a feeling she would definitely be in your list. I mean, we've discussed her before, even on this show, when we were discussing Better Call Saul as a spinoff. I have since finished the show. I believe when we watched that, I was only in like season three or something, season four. Um, we've, we've finished the show since then. Okay, well, let me be careful here, because I have only watched through season five, so season oh, six okay. is the you final season. It's not on Netflix, and uh, okay, I, I have not dedicated time to any sort of mm, buccaneer activities to <laughs> get the show. Understandable.
0: Hey, Kim's really good. Kim's extremely good.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's just she's just genuinely a good person. Well, she at least starts off as a good person, kind of in a world of evil. Like she's more focused on the pro bono clients, not the money makers. But I think one of the things that I really enjoy about her as a as a character, not just because she's so well written and 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 well acted, but Largely, going into this, like, we know Jimmy McGill's fate. We know oh. he becomes Saul at some point. We're, we're kind of, you know, watching that progress. But she has a front row seat to that entire process. Mm-hmm. And we have no idea what her fate is. Is yeah, like she's not, she's 100% not unknown.
0: Band. Yeah. She, so she's she's totally a new character. And
1: easily i think the best new character in the show without a doubt she just she feels like a real person you know she's a a fierce professional like a lot of us can relate we work really hard in our jobs but she's undermined by corporate overlords that's something where like people can definitely relate to that you know getting that call from i don't don't know anything about that yeah of course Can can you explain it to me uh, no, I cannot. So, uh, also, she isn't afraid to tell Jimmy to F off, like when she's on the losing end of a slipping Jimmy type gambit. I, I just, I think the way that she's portrayed as the front row seat to the transformation, but also maintains cool, kind of, She's while she's concerned about his decisions, she's ultimately rooting for him, which is largely what the audience is doing it just the way that she's portrayed i it's difficult to pinpoint exactly because it's she's just it's so well acted she's very likable she's not designed to be feminine really at all she's i mean she's a lawyer she's a a business professional she's just a a good person who's good at her job and just does good things and You know, going back to what I said before, when a character is designed or portrayed simply as a love interest or as a beautiful woman and that's the only real point or kind of development behind the character, it's very disappointing and and largely uninteresting. And at no point in the series is she really designed to be that way or be that thing. I mean, she even becomes part of Jimmy's little scams kind of later as you go along, right? She's as she's yeah, evolving. But she's I, not I, I just think, beautiful. I, I, I think one I mean, of the interesting is things.
0: But. Yeah, I, I, I think one of the interesting things that this show does is, you know, this is you know, mild, spoilers for, mild spoilers for the show. Uh, she and Jimmy become romantically involved, I think from season two onward. Sure. Um, and the show spends almost zero time talking about the fact that they are in a romantic relationship. They live together, you see a decent amount of interactions of them living together, everything, but almost mm-hmm. none of their discussions are about their relationship almost to the point where it's weird like yeah hey right? there's like an unhealthy level of communic of, of lack of communication happening in this relationship, but the show is just not focused on the fact that they are romantically involved it's way more interested in how they're professionally involved and and, and I mean they kind of even.
1: As indicated by their wedding, right, which was kind of just a rush job, last minute thing at the was it a courthouse? They yeah. they were at, they just happened to be there and they're like, let's just go get married right now. And then and it, but it was a it was really uh, like you said a professional move. It was not a love move, even though they had developed feelings for each other and it made sense at least in their minds. But I I was personally surprised when she even said yes. So. No, anyway, she came up with the idea, didn't she? I, she did. She did. Yeah, so just. She can't be coerced to testify against him if they're married. Right. That's what it was. Yeah, that's. Whew. I did the, not see that coming.
0: The fascinating thing, and this is, I think, one of the most interesting parts of that entire show to me, is a major theme of the show is Kim's relationship to ethics. Jimmy's as well, but we, like you, like you said, we know where Jimmy's going. We know yep. what we know what Jimmy's willing to do. Is he willing to do those things yet? That's uh, the kind of what a lot of the show ends up being about. But we know the lines that Jimmy's willing to cross. We don't know with Kim. Um, early on, the show very much presents her as someone who instinctively kind of plays by the rules, while Jimmy's always looking to bend or break them. But she, and then we see her being both simultaneously intrigued and disturbed by the, disturbed by the lengths Jimmy's willing to go to get what he wants. Um, so we, we watch her kind of go right up to the line and sometimes she turns back and goes, no, I'm not willing to do this. Sometimes she wants to cross it and does. foot over. Yep. And sometimes she pushes Jimmy to go over, you know? And so it's, it's very interesting watching her wrestle with where exactly is her line personally going to be and how that shifts over the course of the six seasons of this show.
2: Sure. A lot of interesting maneuvers between the two of them. I'm interested to see where
1: season 6 takes me and I'm hoping to finish out that. Unfortunately, it sounds like it won't be on Netflix until like June or July. So oh, wow. there there might be some secret acquisitions of the content in the near future. <laughs> <laughs> I I will so. say,
0: I don't want to dampen your enthusiasm at all. I did think the ending was good. I enjoyed the last season. I don't think it's anywhere near the strongest season of the show.
1: Okay. That's
2: fair, but I'm okay with that. It's still, it's still very good. It's still better than most television. Yeah. I'm, I'm already invested
1: at this point. It's not really going to deter me either way, but Kim, yeah, she's she's amazing. I don't. I, it's it really is difficult to put it in exactly why I think this character is so great, but you know I, I hope I've done at least an okay job. Oh, I, I, I will add. I, I let me add one more thing real quick, and then you can jump sure. in. Her interaction with Lalo that uh, at the apartment. Yes. Um, Incredible. When Jimmy when Jimmy offered to give Lalo his money back and Kim realized that um, he'd seen the travel mug with the bullet hole if he took the bag which, you know, confirming his suspicions, so she jumped into action and mercilessly used logic and reason to get Lalo to stand down like, she could have been terrified she hadn't really crossed into that criminal underworld up to that point, but in this rare circumstance I, it was it was amazing just to see her, her character suddenly shine.
2: Very compelling scene, for sure.
1: When you think Jimmy's going to get him out of it again, nope. Kim. Yeah.
2: And and
0: what I was going to say is just, I, I think a lot of what makes the character so compelling is just incredible performance from Mia Seahorn. Just... I had never seen her in anything prior to this show, and now coming out of Better Call Saul, I'm at a point where it's like, I'll
1: watch anything she's in. I do not care. She's so good. Truly.
2: She is in control of her own destiny, regardless of what that is, for better or worse. Kim is very good.
1: Anyway, worthwhile addition to my list. Obviously, you thought so, since it was number two on your list, but before we get to your number two, I guess, what was your number three? My number three, we're going back to the
0: world of comedy. Uh, This is Julia Louis-Dreyfus playing
1: Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld. I'm going to stop you right there and say, spoilers, that's my number eight. I had a suspicion that that was one of the other duplicates. Well, how can it not be? Elaine is amazing.
0: She's great. Very, very funny. Um, probably my second favorite character overall on Seinfeld. Um, I am a is big your, Seinfeld fan. Is your Go number
1: ahead. 1 Kramer?
0: No, it's George. It's easily George. Oh, okay. I love George. Kramer's good. Uh I like I like Kramer a lot, but uh but George's my favorite. Uh Elaine, however, very close behind. Uh some uh notable standouts with her. Her relationship with uh, Patrick Warburton's character, David Putty, is just very funny because he's such a moron, and she knows it, but also still likes him.
1: Um, the
2: face-painted yeah,
1: scene where he's, you know, got the devils. Yep. El uh,
0: Diablo. Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, her different
0: jobs as an editor and eventually being at the J. Peterman catalog, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh She's got a huge amount of classic episodes. Just want to kind of mention some of my favorites. Uh, the contest where uh, the characters are having contests, see how long they can go uh, without <laughs> masturbating. Yes. Uh, the soup Nazi. Which her part is uh, going through five stages of grief, uh, uh, losing access to her favorite soup. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sponge. Her preferred brand of contraceptive sponges is discontinued, and she's got 60 of them left, so she decides these need to last her the rest of her life. And mm. uh, uh, so who's who's the sponge who's sponge worthy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the pen when she hurts her back and takes a bunch of painkillers right before meeting Jerry's family, it is very loopy during that interaction. Uh, just Really fun character, lots of great moments that I just
1: thoroughly enjoy. You left out her little kicks with the dance moves. Oh, yep, yep, classic. People still do the Elaine dance to this day, yeah. Ironically, I think, I hope, but
0: <laughs> uh, one fun thing that I learned, uh, she was almost not a character on the show at all, uh, she's not in the original huh. pilot. Um, but she was added at the network's ins- insistence because they thought the show was too male centric. Uh so man, what a different show this
1: would have been without her ha- having her on it. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Yeah, I definitely would have felt like there was no female voice to the show at all. I mean, yeah, aside I think- aside from like the various women that they date throughout the show, is there really another consistent female character? The waitress, maybe? <laughs> the The same waitress they get every time they go to the diner
0: yeah and especially I think a lot of it works is she's just as much of a dirtbag as the rest of them are you know
2: yeah definitely
0: because yeah. Seinfeld's ultimately a show about dirtbags you know yeah it turns out we're all terrible
2: people.
1: people yep Yep. there's a reason they're single long term yep And Jerry and Elaine tried to date at one point that was pretty funny
0: it's, I, I really like Elaine, um, you know, your mileage may vary on whether or not you like Seinfeld. I personally think it's one of the best sitcoms of all time.
1: It's hard to disagree on my end. And I just think, unquestionably, she's my favorite um, main, main character, uh, female character in a comedy you know, on television ever, so. Ooh, even more so than D on uh, Always Sunny, that's interesting. I like the it's always sunny is good. Um she's she's not top ten for me though. Okay, fair enough. That that is a surprise because I thought for sure she'd be in like six through ten for you.
0: No, she did not make the cut.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, do you wanna jump over to my number two? I have let's a do it. She is not in your list because I, I don't think you are a fan of this show. But my number two is Leslie Nope from Parks and Recreation, as portrayed yeah, by Amy Poehler. I don't like Parks and Rec, but I don't like Amy Poehler. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, here's why Leslie Nope is amazing. Not just amazing, but largely a feminist icon, just maybe it's a comedy to an exaggerated point, right? Where she becomes this super powerful ultra ambitious woman which was a complete divergent from the original concept and i think in the first season or two she's just kind of portrayed as somebody who's super ambitious but kind of dumb and then they they made some major changes and she became more intelligent, more self-aware, witty and and still ultra ambitious maybe to a fault and those changes were life-saving for this show and as a result fantastic overall and especially in the later seasons there's some real good moments in this show um, but here's why Leslie Nope is amazing she loves and cares for all of her friends it's almost to the point where I think if it if it were possible to do all the things that she claims to have done She literally could not sleep, and there'd probably have to be 36 hours in the day. Obviously, it's a show, and they can get away with it, but it's ridiculous the amount of stuff that she does. She goes above and beyond for all of the friends, and then some, right? I mean, one time she was in a drink-off with Ron's mom, Ron Swanson, her, I guess, boss. He's the department head, and and so it was Ron's mom, his ex-wife. Tammy, sorry, his first ex-wife, Tammy. And she was trying to get him to stay at the department. And so she's in this crazy drink-off where they're basically drinking, like, jet fuel. Some homegrown formula from Ron's family. And, yeah, she gets super loopy and is completely out of her element. And the other two are not really affected, and she's, like... Spouting off nonsense—it's kind of ridiculous—but, um, but she does it because she she cares about her friends and cares about her coworkers. Um, and in another instance, she gave April one of the other coworkers an initiative to work with dogs um, that needed homes, and that was something she cared about a lot. And she helped Anne get a job. I mean, these are just a couple of the things that she's done for her friends. But one of the other things that she's really known for is her gift giving, which is second to literally nobody. I don't know in of course I don't have the full gamut of history here, but I'm gonna go out on a ledge and say that she might be the best gift giver in the history of giving gifts in the entire world across all media. Wow. That I mean it's it's amazing some of the stuff that she comes up with. Right? April gets a portrait of her, of herself, in the style of like Xena but she's holding the heads of the black eyed peas and <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And she loves it. She's like, how did she know I wanted this? Like, <laughs> and like Ben, her future husband, but at the time I think it, they were just dating. It was her boyfriend. Uh, she got Ben a replica of the iron throne after he did this uh, amazing thing. And you know, what? might've been married at that point. Cause I think it was their anniversary. He did this amazing thing for their anniversary. And he's like, Oh, I outgifted you. And she's like, yeah, well, you think you did, but, you know, come with me. And they walk into this other room and the Iron Throne is there. And he's like, oh, my God, it's the Iron Throne. Oh, and he's like super nerding out, sitting on it. And she's like, oh, yeah, I found this guy that could get me a replica of the Iron Throne. And I hope you like it. He's like, this is amazing. And it is pretty cool. It's lifelike, life size. I mean, it it was a really cool replica. That's pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it was it was awesome. Um, So beyond that, like in order to give good gifts, you have to know your people. And for one of the gifts for Ron, she gave Ron silence. Not only that, it was a room where it was just him, some steak, some bourbon. And I think she had two movies rented for him, one of which was The Bridge on the River Kwai, because that was like one of the only movies I think that he watched. Uh, I think the other one was Patton. I don't remember. But yeah, it's just she knows her people and she she knows exactly what to do to give them the best possible gift. And it's it's just her way of showing love to her to her friends and coworkers. workers uh, She got a framed golden record of Mouse Rat for Andy. So Andy is Chris Pratt's character. He has this band Mouse Rat, formerly Rat Mouse, formerly Mouse Rat. Um, which had a bunch of different names in between, and uh, she framed a gold record of the band, and it's he's like, oh, over a hundred sold, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. Like, why would you frame this? Um, Donna, one of the other characters, got this personalized leopard-printed robe with pink feather cuffs with a custom engraving on the back, and it says, you can get it, which is <laughs> just... Why would you ever do that? But she loved it. It was perfect. Is Every single time she gives a gift, it is literally the best thing that person has received in their entire life. And sometimes it just one ups the previous thing that she had given them previously.
0: It's pretty good track record.
1: Yeah. She gave Ron the ability to close the doors to his office with a remote. So that way he didn't have to get up from his desk and he could That's keep handy. people out. Yeah. Uh Beyond her people, she also cares a great deal about her town and When she found out she was actually born in the neighboring city of Eagleton, she was devastated, like she was running for city councillor at the time, and she's trying to to win this bid and They found out, oh we found you're not actually from Pawnee, you're from." eagleton she's like no no that can't be and she goes to confront her mom she's like well actually you know what i i think you were born in eagleton because there was like it was a snowstorm it was unexpected some random reason and she's like oh my god my whole life is a lie and she has to wrestle with the fact that no she's she really is from pawnee it's where she lived she's where she grew up it's all she's ever known she doesn't identify with the people of eagleton which are portrayed as very snobby like elitist like with a lot of money very rich kind of neighborhood but when when she found out about it they're like Oh, i'm sure plenty of other people were born in eagleton and she's like yeah like lord voldemort so she's very much attributing all the negativity and the badness in her life and career up to that point or with everything eagleton so definitely loves her city but she's still one the bid for city councilor after a close call on a recount. Um, but not only that, she later goes on to become the regional director of the national park service for the Midwest region. And then after that, she was the deputy director of operations at the U S department of the interior. And then she becomes governor of Indiana. And then allegedly we learn that she was the president of the United States. I mean, it was kind of hinted in the series finale that it was either her or her husband, Ben, portrayed by adam scott um but my guess is it probably I say, a,
0: the shows covering a lot of ground here
1: yeah i mean there in the later season it kind of skips ahead several years and so we do see some of this progression but then we see a pretty big jump and it's just alleged that certain things have happened up to that point and yeah that there's going to be a president race uh in like 2048 or something So I'm going to keep going here and compounding on why she's amazing, because she's a wonderful role model to young girls, because she was the troop leader of the Pawnee Goddesses. And that was basically Girl Scouts, or their equivalent of Girl Scouts in the show. And their pledge for joining the Pawnee Goddesses was, I am a goddess, a glorious female warrior, queen of all that I survey, enemies of fairness and equality. Hear my womanly roar, roar, yeah! And their motto was literally "We're freaking awesome." <laughs> and she designed and created like all of the badges and the the motto and the the pledge and everything for this group so that it could compete with the Pawnee Rangers, which was like the Boy Scout equivalent. But because the way that Ron was running the Boy Scouts. None of them really wanted to be in it. They're like, this is too much work. I don't want to be an adult man. I want to enjoy my childhood. And they're like, the girls are all having fun. And so they all joined the Pawnee goddesses by the end of it. And it was just an interesting episode. But I I think the way that it it's portrayed, the way that she handles pretty much every circumstance she's in. She's always trying to do good by her friends, her town, and even though she gets screwed over in a lot of ways and it's just people messing with her constantly, whether intentionally or not, is irrelevant. It just She's always moving in the right direction. And for that reason, as a as the main character to this show, I, I think it it was an easy pick and one of the first people that I thought of when I thought of this list. So yeah, number two on my list. Oh, and uh on a uh, an aside for this one and <clears throat> Josh you'll understand why I put this on here she also has triplets so truly she is a wonder woman
2: that's a it's a, it's a lot of work so I've heard anyway Leslie Nope, Amy Poehler amazing wonderful character
1: definitely a reason to rewatch that show maybe not the early first
2: second season but Later, yes, definitely. I hear that there are a lot of people who like that show a lot. There are at least a few.
1: I also know it's not streaming anywhere currently, which is incredibly oh, that's frustrating.
2: strange. Yeah.
1: But we've already gone over your number two, uh, since it was the same as my number three, Kim Wexler. But why don't we jump to your number one overall? My number one is one that I thought of
0: Pretty quickly, after we decided that we were going to do this as our topic, it is a show that I watched uh, relatively recently, about a year ago. This uh, The show in question is The Leftovers. Uh, the character is Nora Durst, played by Carrie Coon. So The Leftovers, what this show really breaks down to is it's an examination of grief and what it does to people on an individual level and society at large. If you're not familiar with the show, I am not. The Leftovers is essentially most people I think are more familiar with uh the Avengers movies with Thanos, where he does the snap and wipes out half the life in the universe. This is a similar but much less dramatic concept. Um all of a sudden, one day, two percent of Earth's population disappears. Uh no one knows why. No one has any explanation for it, It can can prove any explanation for it. The show is fundamentally not interested in, for the most part, in why the departure happened. Characters are, certainly, but the show itself isn't. The show is much more concerned concerned with the grief that comes along with this. 2% of the world's population isn't enough that everyone lost someone, but it's enough that most people, if they didn't lose someone, knows someone who did. What does that do to the world, basically? Nora Durst is a woman in this show who is a very rare case where not only did she lose her husband, but also both children disappeared in the event, which uh, is generally called on the show the sudden departure. So she, her whole family just gone. Um, in an instant. She, uh, the show takes place um, a few years after the event happened. And at that time, the show picks up, she works for a bureau of the government called the Department of Sudden Departure. Uh, She's a fraud investigator and much of her work involves interviewing people who claim to have lost loved ones in the departure to try and determine if they're being truthful. Or even if they believe that they're their loved ones lost in the departure. Maybe it's for a different reason. This is important because people who lost immediate family members are given financial compensation um, hmm. for for this from the government. So it's it's very interesting because, you know, she has experienced this incredible loss of her husband and children are just gone. No clue why. Then her job is figuring out if people are lying about going through the same experience. Uh, so she's uh, she's pretty pretty passionate about it. Is it a significant amount of money? Yeah, it's significant. I don't remember if they actually say an uh, um, a specific number, but, but the it's tone an, of it, it's a, yeah, the tone is that it's a significant amount of money. I don't know if they're giving away like millions of dollars or anything, but probably certainly thousands. We see her uh, become involved in a relationship with the other main character, Kevin Garvey. Like, like we said before, we're going to kind of get into spoilers here. I'm really going to try to not spoil much of anything past part of season one just because I don't want to spoil the show for anyone because it is so incredibly good. But we see her become involved in the relationship with our other main character, Kevin Garvey, who's the police chief in the town. Um, and the show does a really careful examination of how their losses affect every single decision they make. And especially with Nora Durst, because you can very clearly see what how what she has gone through impacts everything she does. Uh, it, it all feels very carefully constructed and how they considered how she acts because every decision is colored by this. We see her go to a departure related conference for work. Early in the first season, she becomes obsessed with this celebrity author who wrote a book about losing his four family members, which is one more than Nora lost. And she becomes fixated becomes fixated on this idea that he is a fraud, that that he, even if his he he actually lost the people, um, that he says he lost, that um, he's not being truthful about his feelings because he's expressing them in a different way than she is. Um, it was interesting to see her sort through that sort of thing later on in the show. We see her hire an escort to come to her house and in- it is implied that something sexual is about to happen and instead she hire has the escort uh she puts on a bulletproof vest and has the escort shoot her in the chest and then leave um hmm. so it's, it's she's processing grief in different ways over the course of the show that's really expanded in a lot of different directions over the three seasons of the show. Um, the performances from Carrie Coon are just absolutely phenomenal. I, 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 don't, I don't really want to get into it past um, past this kind of stuff I've talked about in the first season here, just because it's too good of a show to spoil, <laughs> I think. Um, but ultimately, um, closing argument, if you will, for, for Nora is the show's central theme is grief, right? Um, Examination of grief. And Nora is the show's thesis statement on that. Hmm. So, cannot recommend Leftovers more highly. Absolutely one of my favorite shows. And Nora Durst, probably my favorite
2: character on the show.
1: This is not the first time you've mentioned this show to me. So I think uh, there might be something to this.
0: It's a shorter show, too. Uh, shorter time commitment, I think. It's three seasons. I think it's like 28 episodes total. So. Hmm.
2: so and where is know, it still, streaming? I don't know. Okay, well, I'll find it. I watched it last year. Fair enough. And it's it's
1: done? Like, the series is over?
0: Yeah, this it started in 2014, I believe.
1: I definitely have to look into it.
0: Excellent show. Cannot recommend more highly. It's not a happy show. Let's like that? I, I think I don't want to explain. You know, It's a show about grief, um, so it's heavy. But it is absolutely some of my favorite television I've ever watched. But that does it for my number one. Scott, why don't we move to
1: your number one? Uh, right before I tell you my number one, let me say, uh, when it comes to the shows that we discuss, as o- as always, I am well-intentioned to at least try to see some of the same ones. And this one, I think, is probably higher up on the list of ones that I would really like to see. So I'm going to actually write this one down and, and see where it takes me. I'll let you know. It was very impactful for me. Every time I say that, though, and we probably could chart this over the last eight, now nine episodes, we should keep a tally and maybe revisit this at some point to see if we actually did go back and watch some of the things we said we would.
2: (laughs) What we need is you
1: need a hyperbolic
2: time chamber. Let me work on that. Go in there for a day and then it's actually a year. You can watch as many shows you want.
0: While I lift weights, Goku style. Okay, anyway. Make sure, you, make sure your weighted training gear is on. You're number oh, one.
1: Of course. Number one is one that I know you also really like, so I'm expecting this to be somewhere on your list. Number one for me is Deputy Molly Solverson. There we go. You from are Fargo, season one, portrayed by Allison Tolman. I was not
0: expecting this to be your uh,
1: your number one. It It was a bit of a toss-up between really my top three, they were all really close in my mind, but Molly edged it out. There was, maybe it's recency bias, but something about her character is just so, so homely and likable, but also, she's not taking crap from anyone. And, and I think well, let me, let me just get into it. We can go through some of the specifics here, right? She mm-hmm. is easily the best detective on the squad, right? The only, I believe the only female, but easily the best on the squad.
2: Definitely better yeah. than Bill, uh, who is the chief, um, portrayed well, by, yeah, what?
0: I was just going to say, she's certainly the only member of the police force who's remotely onto anything real. That we see in the season. Everybody else is not taking the case that seriously, very much being presented, taking what they are presented with at face value. She's the only one who's really going, I think there's more to this.
1: Right. And that's that was going to be my next point, right? She's constantly challenging the status quo, which is really just basic skepticism and detective work, right? But she also she often has insight into every single situation and she takes the time to consider all aspects of the case. And I think she can see the forest through the trees in some sense, right? She, she can see the big picture of what's going on. When I think of a a great scene where she's connecting all the dots in her mind, it's spoilers right after she was shot. She's in the hospital and there's, a window and they gave her a marker and she's drawing all of these different pieces of, you know, this guy shows up at this point and has a conversation with this guy and it connects to this. And then that backtracks to this, but this wouldn't be possible unless this person and this person had spoken prior to that and had told them about this other thing. And it's like, wow, she's really just, her brain is really working and she's connecting all of the dots. And the way she's describing it is, Pretty much exactly how it happened. Not one hundred percent, but she—it's like she was in the audience, viewing from another chair, and could see everything that was actually unfolding. And and that's incredible. Just her insight on that was magnificent.
0: Yeah, part of my part of my take on Molly is, I think, from my from from my watching of the season, um, she isn't presented as like this superhuman cop mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a way that a lot of main characters in cop shows are as like, wow, they're just this incredible right. Unique ability. Like yeah. Yeah. Yep. She's, she's just good. She's just good at her job and she cares about doing the, the work in a way that she's, she's competent. I think she, she has a base level of competence and is surrounded by a lot of incompetence. She's mm-hmm. not I don't think she's performing like these Herculean feats of detective work, but she's doing the work and she's smart and she's processing this stuff. Well, in, in a way where no one else is even trying and that and so she she ends up very
1: compelling um, as a result. Definitely. Yeah, she's she stands out. I, I remember you had recommended this show to me. And I watched the first season and I remembered talking to you about it kind of as I'm going through the episodes mm-hmm. and I remember my journey unfolding and just really really liking her throughout that entire process and I think I told you as much during the the conversations we had about it but it, it really beyond the character Allison's acting is spectacular just mm-hmm really really good and like through the thick through the thick minnesota accent oh my god that's what really sets it over the edge i mean Uh that accent is done to a t all the mannerisms the the specific lingo that they use uh, one of the midwest things that i can relate to as somebody from the midwest that very much comes up is our use of the phrase yeah no which mm-hmm. is yep. to say, yeah, I recognize what you're asking, but no, the answer is no. She's <laughs> <Just> like, <laughs> Oh oh yeah, no, uh that's not gonna happen. you're like, Oh my god, such a Midwest thing. So oh, many yeah. Midwest thing. Oh yeah. Oh oof da. <laughs> but Okay, so let's let's get into a couple more things about her, right? Yeah. She she shot the hitman,
2: Lauren Malvo, twice in a blizzard like yep. that that was pretty incredible as a
1: another indication of her character her first reaction when she wakes up in the hospital after getting shot is that she had the bad guy she was so close mm-hmm. and that was just why is that the first thing on your mind you just got shot in the spleen but that's what she cares about you know she's She's got a focus. She's got a determination. She's not afraid to get physical. Um, She's polite to suspects, even when, in my mind, she really shouldn't be, but she shows a a level of professionalism that I think is not as common as people maybe think it is. Um, But, you know, even when she's questioning, she's doing it very politely. And maybe that's just the... Minnesota Midwest type of politeness coming out, but just it's like, oh, oh, well, tell me about that. Oh, interesting. Oh, and like she's connecting dots, and I'm sure she's being very skeptical of the the answers, but at the same time, it's just she's not showing that. She's just like, oh, okay, well, tell me about this. Oh, well, oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's very casual in some ways.
2: <laughs> um,
1: and then one more thing: she is constantly dealing with patriarchal BS. Oh absolutely. Sometimes it's the traditionalism from like her dad when he was talking about like, oh, you know, you're gonna meet someone, get married, start a family, and she's like, Yeah, that's nice, Dad. Uh, and you know, the police chief Bill introduces her while in a professional setting as just Molly. And she quickly corrects him as, No, I'm I'm Deputy Solverson. Like, what what Mm -hmm. the heck are you talking about? And then, you know, she refused to make coffee and she's like, no, I'm a deputy. I don't make coffee. And yeah, I don't know. I think her deadpan kind of police stare, if that's a thing, it's just, it's really good. It's almost unsettling to the the wrongdoers, wrongdoers and like hooligans, but it's just a really good portrayal of that.
0: I I think a critical element of the character here as well is... um she is um in a way that she she is a plus size character in a way that most female characters main characters in general not allowed to be but also mm-hmm. specifically like police characters in in um shows are not allowed to be uh that's that that's that definitely yeah. struck
1: me as as uncommon yeah that's a really good point you know most of the time if you're a plus size woman in a cast you are one, not the main character, or two, the comic relief. And that's kind yeah, of your shtick. Sure. For sure. And and that's unfortunate, but you're right. That it's it's not even really I don't it doesn't come up. It's just that's who she is. She's from the Midwest. She's a little bit bigger, and that's okay. It doesn't matter. She's still a
2: badass. Yeah. Great character. Yeah. I think right. I don't think I mentioned it. She's my number eight, by the way. Oh nice. Yeah. That's uh good. I'm
1: glad to hear that she's on your list at least but I I think overall she's just such a lovable character and you know even if she doesn't get the satisfaction of arresting Lester or killing Lorne since that was kind of a you know I won't spoil that specific part but it just some of the things where you thought she's the the hero and she'll save the day it really wasn't written that way and she doesn't get that kind of closure, and I, I think that's perfectly fine. Her character still shines, even without those pieces. Definitely. And that's something unique to, to her, something unique to the writing. That first season, I I won't say she's the best character in the first season, because there's one person... I think oh, yeah, you and I both agree, steals the show. There's definitely
0: a different character that absolutely steals the show, but uh, she's probably
1: my second favorite. I would agree with that completely. But I also like the fact that her dad is a, a strong main character as well, and then becomes mm-hmm. the main character in the second season, which... Yeah, they definitely they definitely do some interesting stuff with the anthology format of Fargo. Yeah. All right. No more spoilers. You've uh, heard my reasons. Molly is amazing, and... I think as an, a fellow Midwesterner, I'm I'm happy to have her represent my number one on this list. She's very good. All right. Well, that's our
0: uh, that's our top sixes here. We'll yeah. we'll take another break here before we round out our seven, nine, and ten on each of our lists because we hit the number eights already through the duplicates. How and funny, then, right? uh, And then we'll wrap up with uh, arguing over who belongs on the unified top ten list. So stick around. Let's do it.
1: Welcome back, everyone. If you made it this far, then you're probably enjoying yourself at least a little bit like a just a tiny schmidge. But in that case, a an honest rating, a review, referring a friend, any of those things would go a super long way to help us get the word out about this podcast. I mean, we are nine episodes in we are progressing. Slowly, but surely, we are not being deterred and we are happy to continue. But we'd be even Having happier if time. we had definitely, we'd be even happier if we had more people listening to share the experience with. So, thank you again for listening, though. And now we will move on to the rest of our list as well as phase two. Josh, why don't you round out your top 10 with your seven, nine, and 10? Alright, uh, we'll start with my number 10. Um, I have uh, Peggy Olsen
0: from Mad Men, played by Elizabeth Moss. Have not watched it. Okay, I thought maybe you had, I don't remember, but um, no, she's good. She, uh, she's a character who starts as a secretary for Don Draper, um, and it's one of our primary windows into the show's view on misogyny in the workplace in the 60s, um, and then we kind of see her fight to be taken more seriously over the course of the show, and, and uh, that definitely goes into some interesting... Uh, directions she's kind of one of for me one of the most compelling characters on the show and uh and one of the reasons i enjoyed it as much as i did so uh peggy quite good uh number nine is samantha carter from stargate sg1 played by amanda tapping she's the one female member of the team sg1 if you're not familiar with stargate they're going through the stargate to go to different alien planets and and stuff and they're Uh, members of the U.S. Air Force that are doing this. Uh, She's a brilliant scientist. She's a capable soldier consistently standing up for doing what's right and just a rock-solid essential member of the team, you know. Um, uh, It can be a very fun, humorous presence as well. Character kind of does it all in ways that I really enjoy, so uh, really, really enjoy Samantha Carter. Uh, My number eight was Molly, which we covered with your number one. And then my Mm -hmm. number seven is uh, another sci-fi one, Laura Roslin on Battlestar Galactica, played by Mary McDonnell. She starts off the show. She was a former teacher who's serving as the Secretary of Education at the start of the show, who ends up forced into becoming um, the president as she is the last surviving member of the cabinet when most of humanity is wiped out Mm -hmm. by the Cylons. Uh, It's revealed very early on that she's dying of cancer. Whoa, spoilers. That's like... The first episode, oh, yeah. <laughs> um,
1: long she, long time ago. How long did the episode air? Anyway, uh, Two thousand and three.
2: Uh, yeah, she
0: she consistently has to make very very difficult moral decisions in order to keep the fleet alive, um, as just trying to you know save the last vestiges of humanity from being chased down and wiped out by the Cylons. And you have to make a lot of tough decisions that you know sacrifice some lives in order to. Needs the many outweigh the needs of the few, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, Mm. having, watching her have to struggle with all of that stuff and deal with cancer at the same time is, is very compelling.
2: Yeah. So
0: she's
1: my number seven. That's my, uh, that's the remainder of my list. Scott, what do you got? Good additions. My number 10 is somebody that I don't think you despise the person, but you definitely despise the show. Olivia Benson. (laughs) on Law & Order SVU, as portrayed by Mariska Hargitay. I mean, she is, her and Elliot, number one and two. And I I think she always adds something, some unique perspective or some solve to the case. She's just the clear face of that show, her and Elliot. So it, it's it was an easy one, because I've watched that show so many times. Just It's just always kind of been on in the background growing up. And I think... Yeah, I, I would have been a fool to exclude her from the list. But is she as compelling now as she used to be? No, it's just kind of the way that the show is operated. So, no, only number 10. Number nine, however, is, and I'm going to be very specific here, Penny Teller from The Big Bang Theory, as portrayed by Kaylee Cuoco. And I'm I'm saying Penny Teller because in the early seasons, that was her maiden name not Penny Hofstadter, because later seasons, I can't say definitively that she was the main female character. I think it was shared pretty equally amongst the three of them. I would agree. But early seasons, it's very obvious. She is the main female character. She's the reason that the show really kind of took off in the first place. And, you know, in addition to some pretty great performances by some of the other main cast, but as far as female leads go, she's clearly the winner. And I, I like I like the dynamics that she portrays to the show. Being brought into the nerd culture, being tolerant of these guys, giving them a chance while still kind of backing into her old lifestyle and ultimately deciding, like, this is the way I want to move forward. These are the people I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I think that evolution and transformation over time is, is pretty fantastic. So even though she's kind of just the dumb blonde in some episodes, those are not the majority, and I think she's got some depth to her that people don't even realize, and it's a comedy show, so maybe that's like a little bit different, but yeah, I think Penny, Penny's great. In particular, I think of the episode where she becomes addicted to what is effectively World of Warcraft, and Sheldon's like teaching her, and she gets through... Anyway, it's, that's a great one. She becomes addicted and stops showering and just playing video games all the time. My number eight was Elaine from Seinfeld, and we already covered that one. And my number seven is lois Wilkerson Wilkerson uh played by Jane Kamerick uh from Malcolm in the Middle, the mom in the entire show of all boys, except for later I think they had a daughter like the maybe not maybe it was like a granddaughter or something anyway she's the pretty much the only female in the in the main cast, so um but her. She was the Karen before Karens were cool, right? Super loud, obnoxious, forceful presence of a mother, overbearing. And, and yet it was necessary for most of their kids. But for Malcolm, being as smart as he was, you know, it, it was a, a little too much at times. But I think the way that she's portrayed and the way that her husband is portrayed as a counterbalance to her overbearing nature and his just super passive, like, go-with-the-flow, kind of whatever type of nature. It was a great balance. As a parenting duo, I think it was clear that even though they were not the most well-to-do, they were still a good, strong parental team, and, and it was in large part due to just her overall love for her family, even if she had a harsh way of showing it at times. So yeah, great, uh, great show. And, uh, I don't think it would have been the same with anyone else playing Lois. I've never actually watched Malcolm in the middle. I don't think a single episode.
2: Oh, well,
1: sorry to hear that you are missing out. Um, we didn't really go through any of your honorable mentions. Did you have anyone else that you wanted to kind of throw out there?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, I'll run through. Yeah, so we you know, one thing we alluded to. Uh, Lightning round. We
1: both had we
0: both had someone that we cut from our own lists because we didn't quite think they made the the main character cut. Yeah, um, but otherwise, absolutely would have. Mine on that one is um, Claudette Wims from the Shield, played by CCH Pounder. Um, she is just an incredible character that I absolutely love. But upon inspection, digging back through the episodes of that show reading up on on that stuff I just I don't think I can justify her as being a main character on that show. Mm-hmm. Um she's main cast certainly but just not the focus often enough to be considered a main character I think. Otherwise she definitely would have made the list. I had her as my number 3 originally but just yeah. Didn't hmm. uh, made me sad to cut her but I I um still really enjoyed the character. Um other quick lightning round um honorable mentions ahsoka tano from clone wars buffy summers from buffy the vampire slayer mm-hmm. dr girlfriend from the venture bros daenerys targaryen from game of thrones mm-hmm. maybe all but the last season uh mabel pines <laughs> from gravity falls sister knight from *Watchmen*, olivia dunham from fringe amy santiago from brooklyn 9 Nine, sarah mm-hmm. jane smith from those seasons of dr who she was on mm-hmm.
1: and katara from avatar the last airbender yeah i i guess i Struggled to throw anyone from Doctor Who on my list, but it was a consideration. I just I didn't feel strongly enough about any one of them. I felt like there were several that could have been contenders, and even though sure. they didn't really overlap, I I didn't want to single one out, so I I left them all. Amy on Pond, list. also very good. Whew, that that is a good addition, but I digress. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go through my. Quick honorable mentions, and then I'll go into my questionable one. Uh, Eleanor okay. Shellstrop, uh, Kristen Bell from The Good Place. Jessica Jones, as portrayed by Kristen Ritter. Um, Very good. From Jessica Jones. Clarissa Darling from uh, Melissa Joan Hart and Clarissa Explains It All. Grew up watching this show. Complete 90s like kids TV show, but you know, I, I remember watching so many episodes of this show, so... Uh, Daria Morgendorfer from the TV show Daria. Uh, Sookie Stackhouse from True Blood. Unfortunately or fortunately, I, in the early seasons of that show, was uh, coaxed into watching it by my girlfriend at the time, and uh, there were some pretty good storylines, and I actually enjoyed quite a bit of it. And then it kind of skewed, and yeah, anyway, not worth my time. Uh, Katara from Avatar The Last Airbender as an honorable mention. And then my last one, which I really, really wanted to include 11 from Stranger Things as possibly in my top three, potentially for even number one, because 11 is amazing in Stranger Things. I mean, the actress does a fantastic job, and I I wish I could have added her, but it's a, it's a toss-up. It's between her and Joyce Byers whether she's actually the lead. I think there's probably a strong argument that could be made for either one depending on the season. It wasn't clearly yeah. defined. Especially as that show goes on becomes so much more of an ensemble cast in like
0: the later seasons. Any individual character just doesn't get very much time spent
1: on them just because there's so many at this point and they're spreading it out as much yeah. as they are. I I no, I I'm think maybe in the first season, you know, parts of it she's definitely the main character towards the end of the season, but in the beginning it's Joyce and Joyce's yeah. role in finding her son. But anyway, yeah, that was my that was the one I struggled with the most, but our referee said sorry, it's a toss up, can't include it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fair. Yeah, but I'm with you. Anyway, let's uh let's take a look see here. Where where do we stand with our Unified list so I've moved over um, our top sixes here um
0: ends up being eleven total because we had the duplicate of Kim the one duplicate yeah um i I'm gonna say right now, I think Kim's gonna
1: rank fairly highly on this list for us i I think you're right, and i you know she's number three on my list, number two on yours. it was a, a almost a little bit of a toss up for me like I said to between my 1 2 and 3 I'm going to just throw out there she should probably be number 1 as a I'm comfortable with that
0: um you know norder's number 1 on my personal list but since we have the shared uh the shared input on on Kim mhm I I think for the unified list it totally makes sense to have her in that number 1 spot so that's where she's going Kim Wexler Excellent uh, our- our other duplicates, Molly was your number one, my number eight, Elaine, my number three, your number eight. Mm-hmm. Um I'm definitely comfortable having Molly higher up than my my number eight, for sure, because you, you care about the character so much. And I, I do like her a lot. I think she's very strong.
1: I, I think she's easily a number two, if I'm being honest. Mm, uh, I don't know about that. Well, she's obviously better than all of your one through seven, but,
0: you know. Nora, Nora Durst,
1: very I just love that character so much, um, and you don't love Molly? What's not to love? I do. I do love
0: Molly a lot. I think she's great. I don't think she is anywhere near the depth that Nora Durst has
1: in uh, the course of the show. I know you've not watched it. Um, well, I heard Nora f- Durst is a liar. All right, I heard Molly is amazing. Hmm? How about that? The the
0: the piece. I, I I think my strongest argument I can make for putting Nora above Molly is Molly is a very important piece to the mystery of season one of Fargo, what's going on in that story and everything. She is a driving force, for sure, and a very compelling character, where I think Nora Durst fundamentally represents the themes of the entire show she's from.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Oh, okay, let's table that for right now. Okay. I, I I see what you're saying, but I'm not prepared to to relinquish that just yet. So, why don't we just uh move some of the ones that we know are probably going to be in the top 5 up there? So, like Elaine is probably going to be up there. Yeah, I think I think Elaine. Maybe maybe we put Elaine in like number 4 for now. Yeah, How that's feel about that's that? probably fine. Just throw her in there for now. Okay and then split
0: split the difference there but
1: yeah um you know move don't put it in two or three but move molly up on our list so at least molly and nora we know are probably going into those spots agreed um let's say let's say we'll put a
0: mark down on nora and molly will be two and three in some order
1: Um, yeah probably okay
0: um, we can obviously put Leslie at number eleven and cut her from the list because that show's bad. Whoa, um,
1: whoa! My number two, <laughs> you're gonna just completely cut off the in- no, 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 no. Uh, we, I already uh, gave you a list of all the I reasons to, why she. I had to try iconic, not only I as know. Amy Poehler in her representation of quite possibly her best role ever, but the the feminine movement and and the way that she is portrayed as. A strong, independent character. I-, I think we'd be foolish to eliminate her, and I think your wife would be mad at you about that. I just, I just don't like Amy Fuller in general, uh, but nothing against her personally. I just, mm-hmm, I don't mm-hmm. think I really enjoyed her in anything. So I, you know, Nadia, Nadja. Excuse uh, me, excuse me, Nadja. Please. Well, it's probably pronounced Nadia. Right? There's like a... On the show, they pronounce it Nadja. Nadja. Okay, well...
0: Nadja, darling!
1: Not very, very funny. Don't watch the show, so I... I don't know. Um, let's see. Between the three that you've got here... Gemma from Sons of Anarchy, Dana from X-Files, and Nadja from What We Do in the Shadows. I can say I only have a personal interest in Dana uh, because that one I've actually watched, so. Sure. Um, but I don't know that I feel strongly enough about Dana.
0: Gemma's unquestionably the worst person on this list.
1: Uh, no, <laughs> She's actively a bad person, but a very compelling character. Hmm. See, but Leslie Nope is a good person and actively compelling character, so I think that trumps Gemma very easily. In fact, I would, I see the, I would quali- be prepared to say... The quality of the character is the argument here, not the quality of their morals. Okay, well, seasons one and two aside, Leslie Nope is, is a pretty fantastic character, someone we should all strive to be within our own lives, both as a, a giver and a receiver. So I'm going to say, how about this? Leslie Nope, <laughs> number five and I'll give you Nora Durst as number two, and I'll
2: make Molly number three. You drive a hard bargain. And, 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 as a show of peace,
1: I'll let you decide who of your three there should be number six. I mean, it's Gemma, clearly. Okay, well, Um, all right. I'm going to move these over. Make it so.
0: Um, And then I'm just going to give a quick rundown here for where we're at so far. Um, that puts us at, uh, Kim Wexler, number one, Nora Durst, number two, Molly Solverson, number three, Elaine Bennis, number four, Leslie Nope, number five, and Gemma Teller-Morrow, number six. We have four slots left and five names. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How strongly
1: do you feel about Rebecca Harris? I mean, she is pretty amazing. And I don't know if anyone else in that show would be appropriate. I, I'm, I'm almost tempted to drop Dana Scully, even though I have a relation mm. in in part to her. I just, I just think her character has one mode of operation and hasn't didn't really develop
0: too much. Oh, I don't and...
1: think that's true at all. I think that
0: there's there's changes over the course of the show. Mm. She she becomes much more willing to, because early on in the show she's very dismissive. Of hmm. a lot of Mulder's beliefs and ideas and everything, and it takes a while, but over time there is growth and acceptance, and they learn from each other. And she she gets more to the point where is maybe more willing to entertain some of his more outlandish ideas,
1: um, and not dismiss them out of hand. Um, okay, let, let's keep going. We won't. We'll come back to that then. You have a personal relation to Sharona. At, I do. F- I like Monk. Sharona. I, I would Everyone's say good. she might say even Cora's be a good, good number 7. And Cora number 8. And then I'll drop Rebecca and we can slide the other two in nine ten. How about that? I would put
0: Cora over Sharona, personally.
1: I could see that. I I know I had Sharona over Cora in my list, but given your, given your opinions on Cora, I, I could definitely see her being ahead of Sharona. So if you want to do Korra 7, Sharona 8? Yeah, sure. I, yeah, because,
0: like, I I certainly considered Korra. I did not consider Sharona at all. I think she's a fun
1: character. Um, But, like, I I haven't watched Monk in a very long time, and... Mm -hmm. um, Before you move 9 and 10 into place, mm -hmm. I would say your connection to...
2: Rebecca Harris or rather um Jennifer Carpenter I think
1: warrants at least a consideration to put her into number ten as opposed to eliminating her completely.
0: You did say that she is playing a similar character, but she's not as foul mouthed, and that's a big part of the appeal of her character
1: on Dexter. Oh well, no. She swears up a storm constantly, just swearing mm, left mm, and right. I'm not lying. Know. I'm not lying now to get my way. That would be ridiculous.
2: That would. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I, I think if we is if that we really six... an
1: appeal to you? The swearing? It is. Just,
0: it's it's a fun flavor of that character to me. Um, mm. it doesn't necessarily mean like a character who doesn't have that is bad, but it is a reason that I like that character. Argument that I will have for, if we if we go six versus six here, Naja versus Rebecca. Mm. Naja, for me, is one of my favorite characters in one of my currently favorite running TV shows. Like, certainly, I, I think it's the funniest show on television right now and would definitely make a, like, probably top three all-time
1: comedy shows for me. Um, Where does it weigh in, rel- in relation to Seinfeld? it's such a different show. It like, it's a lot easier to, okay, let's, let's put it in these terms.
0: It's always sunny in Philadelphia is a, a direct, the most directly influenced show by Seinfeld that exists because it is essentially a different version of that show that is just turned up a notch. Uh, Seinfeld's a show about, um, kind of dirt bags. Uh, it's always sunny is a show about truly awful people.
1: <laughs> um, so not not Curb Your Enthusiasm, even though that's a Larry David show. Okay. Yeah,
0: I know. I because Curb Your Enthusiasm is such a different format than Seinfeld is. Whereas it's always Sunny is that four person and eventually five person format, um, with kind of some similar character archetypes dialed up to extremes. What we do in the Shadows is a very different kind of show. It's a different format. It's a different. Um, you know it's it's vampires and stuff still in, still new York though um but it has a tone the the tone of the comedy is more of a kind with it's always sunny, much raunchier much um faster paced i would say um more over the top than Seinfeld is. I think Seinfeld has a much broader appeal than what we do in the shadows, because I think the more adult nature of the comedy and what we do in the shadows is going to turn a significant audience away. Um, hmm. But I would say it's, it's a hard press for me to just to, to say just equivalently say one is better than the other. I think I have laughed harder at what we do in the shadows than I have at,
2: um, at Seinfeld.
1: I don't think you're making too many solid points for yourself because you know I don't really like Always Sunny. and I, You've given me specific episodes that you thought were hilarious, and I've watched them, and I thought, hmm, this is really underwhelming. It's okay, not all of us it. can have good taste.
2: Right, well, I won't fault you this time. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. I think... No, I... I'll, I'll allow Naja
1: to take this one. I'd fight you on it a little bit harder, but I'm I'm struggling to see beyond some of just basic character development and some of the... Even though she's a badass, some of the things that drive her are a little bit cliche. Rebecca Harris I'm referring to, so it's... okay. I, I guess I'm okay with it. I really like her. I think my enjoyment of her as a character largely comes from I really like the premise of the show and the show itself so if you do get a chance I think it's a, a worthwhile watch but I will consider it you should start with the movie even though you think movies like that are ridiculous it there's a lot of really fun scenes and and action so it makes it worthwhile even if you think the premise is kind of dumb
0: I've heard it is much better than Lucy Oh, yeah, for sure. Which I hated. Not quite with the passion of Burning the Suns that I have for um, Now You See Me on, discussed on a previous episode. You should go listen to that one if you haven't. Um, bad movie. But that's a list. We've we've done it. We've finished it.
2: Hmm. Run it back yet for a, us.
0: Yet another perfect list. We'll run it down. Our honorable, our most honorable mention for this list has become Rebecca Harris from Limitless, played by Jennifer Carpenter. Uh, we have Naja of Antipaxos uh, from what we do in the Shadows at number ten, played by I just had it up. Natasha Dimitrio. Um Dana Scully on X Files played by Gillian Anderson. Sharona Fleming on Monk played by Filmy and Scott. I don't. I don't yeah, have it's that in
1: front of me. Biddy Shram.
0: That's a name, right? Um, number seven is Cora from The Legend of Cora, played by also don't know that in front of me.
1: Janet Varney is the voice. Thank you.
0: Uh, number six, Gemma Teller-Morrow from Sons of Anarchy, played by Katie Seagal. Number five, Leslie Nope from Parks and Rec, played by Amy Poehler. Mm-hmm. Number four, Elaine Bennis, played by... Uh, Julia From Lido Seinfeld, Trifus. played by Julia Lily dreyfus uh, Number three, Molly Soverson from Fargo, played by... Allison Tolman. Thank you. Uh, number two, Nora Durst from The Leftovers, played by Carrie Coon. Fun fact, she's also on Fargo season three. Uh, and number one, Kim Wexler from Better Call Saul, played by Rhea Seahorn,
1: the best female TV main character of all time. I had a personal prediction going into this show, based on previous conversations and known combined interests, that Kim would end up being number one, and I was correct
0: yeah i'm with you i knew that that i I felt very strongly that she would probably end up in both of our top fives and thus had a very good chance to be number one and turns out she did because man what a good show what a great character i one last thing about kim i guess uh she is uh i think breaking bad is a show that i actually like better call Saul a little bit more than breaking bad overall having now finished it feel comfortable saying that um Whereas Breaking Bad has a dearth of uh of great uh female characters, just does not she does not Skylar's does not quite make the cut. No. Um, a lot of a lot of really unlikable female characters in Breaking
1: Bad. Uh I I like Skylar's sister more than I like Skylar. She's still terrible. Oh yeah. Awful <laughs> um, person. Uh Better Call Saul does
0: much, much better on this front. Mm-hmm. And Kim is the uh is the
1: most shining example of that. The epitome, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I'm I'm okay with this list. I well I think deserved. Sounds sounds just right. I think, if I remember right, they did not give her the Emmy this year, and that's criminal. Oof, talk about the real crime here.
2: Alright. Yeah, that's our that's our list. Okay, well, I guess thank you.
1: To the five people who listen to this show for taking the time to listen to us argue. And we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Of course, we definitely want to hear your feedback good, bad, indifferent. Talk to us. We need to hear what you have to say because I'm sure you have strong opinions about some of these topics. And those are just as valid as ours. Although we are the de facto rankers of all time. So we are the experts. Yes, we are the experts. So our next episode, which will be posted in about two weeks. Uh, Josh, what? Uh, oh, yes. Josh, tell Tell the people. What are we doing for our next episode? So our
0: next episode is going to air uh, right after New Year's. Um, and we thought it would be fun to do a little bit of format change. Uh for this episode, we're gonna we're not gonna do unified ten top ten list for that week. We're just gonna talk about what our favorite media released in twenty twenty two is. So we'll each come and talk about our top ten and just um how much we liked uh different things that came out that year. So we're going real broad, anything media counts. So we mm-hmm, mm-hmm. should get a pretty good variety of stuff on there.
1: That'll be a good conversation. I'm looking forward to it. Um are we still keeping it to roughly our top ten, or are we just saying To heck with it. Whatever you want to bring and talk about, we can talk about.
0: I figure we could probably still do a top 10 and then, you know, bring honorable mentions for sure. I certainly have some um, prepared on my list. I'm not going to talk about every single thing that I went
1: through that year, but I'm prepared to talk in detail about 10 of them. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Then uh, that'll be be a lot of fun. It's been uh, an interesting year 2022.
0: Indeed. And looking forward to 2023 and more episodes of Stupid Sequence.
1: Woo, stupid sequence. Tell your friends. We're not just two guys. Could be two guys plus you. Talking. Dang, that sounded bad.
2: Okay, well, (laughs) with that
1: in mind, uh, I guess until next time, I've been Scott. And I've been Josh. And remember, with a little practice, you can argue your way into a friendship. Take care, folks.
2: That's a clap. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a clap. Good recording with you. Let's see if we
1: can get this one done in record time. I'm going to speak quickly, and I'll just have you reduce the speed in post. How's that sound?
0: Yeah, that's how how that works. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a clap is the title of my new uh, podcast about syphilis.
2: Hmm. That's awful. Great joke.